From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in Adjective, Second Adjective, Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are an intro to linguistics for game developers, and making your own tools as a game developer. And so, if everyone is ready, dot dot dot, let's start. Before we begin, we want to note the passing of a friend to us and to our local community. Regine Ragnold most recently contributed to the really cool creative lighting design you saw at this year's Glitch Connect conference, and through their partner Danica has been a warm presence in the game dev community who will be greatly missed. And to our pal Danica, we love you, and we in the clubhouse at Glitch and across the Twin Cities game dev community are here for you. Hey Mark, uh, yeah. I heard you were doing an IGDA talk? I am doing an IGDA talk, Stephen. Um, I guess according to... We just figured this out. Yes. <laughs> According to your listener, your calendar, tomorrow. Assuming we have the show up on time. <laughs> Don't give me that. Uh, IDGA, the Twin Cities branch of the International Game Developers Association. We do monthly meetings, if you don't know, uh, that take place at the Nerdery in uh, Richfield. I think it's technically Richfield. It might be Bloomington. Uh, it's Bloomington. It's Bloomington. in that zone. One of them. Anyway, uh, they, uh, we do monthly meetings, and I'm going to be giving the main presentation there, um, I guess, tomorrow. Um, and which, and I'm gonna, it's going to be a, um, a post-mortem on the Star Trek VR project I did for Orchestra Hall that I've talked about on this show before. Yep. I'm going to sort of get into uh, working with Glitch to get it done and the cool relationship that Glitch has with Orchestra Hall. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the technical concerns building, uh, the, building it the way I did in Unity. And I'm going to sort of, you know, show all of the, all the warts. It's going to be great. I'm really looking awesome. forward to it. I'm super excited because you showed us a app you made and it's just yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes you feel like you're there. It's funny because it's, it's now been a good while since that project, like in the rearview mirror. And it's, it's always great to have a project you did instead of one you're working on. Yeah, one of those. Um, but it's funny. I've been, uh, um, recently I was hanging out with some high school friends of mine and they all have kids because they don't make games. And, <laughs> uh, and um, I, I showed them, uh, I was, we were just talking about it. I said, oh, I happen to have it with me. And um, you can check it out. And then w- one of my friend's daughters was like, what's that? I want to try it. And I'm like, okay, it's a, it's a Star Trek thing. You know, whatever. Okay. And like for three hours, the, the, the four kids who were there were fighting over it. So I'm like, okay, I've done well. <laughs> That's awesome. So if you want to find out uh, how I've done so well, uh, come to uh, the nerdery for the IDGA meeting. We'll put the, uh, um, Ryan put the things up already. So we'll yes. have it in the show notes. Definitely. Certainly by the time we post it then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I look forward to seeing you there and hopefully I don't make a fool of myself. So. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be, oh. you'll be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ringing confidence from the two of you. <laughs> uh, so this week we're doing another two-topic episode because we think it went pretty well last time. We it was, yeah. the show was about an hour, and uh, we think that's that seems to be a good length for this. We do, of course, we do want to hear your feedback about it if this works. So we're gonna we're gonna try this for a couple more weeks, just two topics uh, where one of us sits it out. Uh, and takes a break, which is me this week. So I'm very excited about that. Actually. <laughs> um, yeah. So let us know at the feedback form or on Twitter at Nice Games Club. Uh, you know what, how you want us to format the show going forward because we're starting to get comfortable, and I think it's time to shake things up a little bit. Um, so let's get started, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Who's up first? Who's on first? Who's on second? <laughs> <laughs> Should I just leave? <laughs> first topic is my topic, which is linguistics for game developers, um, specifically. Talking about conlangs. What's a conlang, Martha? It's short for constructed language. Oh. And so it's basically a made-up language. Um, if you want, want uh, another language in your game, um, and, or like you have a cool alien civilization, or it's in the past, or 
you want a different branch of Elvish or something, mm-hmm. um, then you'll need to make your own language. And so I thought it would be cool to talk about what you'd want to think about when you're doing that and some cool vocabulary. Ooh. Um, uh, I'm, all vocabulary is cool. <laughs> <laughs> Jargon. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I majored in linguistics at the U, um, and so... This is University of Minnesota Twin Cities. Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not everyone's from here. Right. Um, <laughs> you can't even say U of M because there's Michigan, right. and Maryland. Yeah, you know what's dumb? Whenever I search U of M, I get uh, Michigan. I'm like, come on, it's Minnesota. And it's obviously doesn't have to be. <laughs> I think Minnesota is a bigger school, but Michigan has a bigger football team. Ah, that, well, <laughs> that explains a lot then. Okay. <laughs> so um, first I want to talk about... Uh, some of the games that we've played that have had conlangs um, that you might not realize have have had them. <laughs> uh, like, for example, I know one game that you and I share in common that mm-hmm. we've played a lot was Myth, the Myst games. Yeah. And they had uh, Denis, I think is the n- Yeah, the that's right. What was it called? Finny? Denis. Denis. D-apostrophe-N-I, which okay. is the name of the culture, uh, who I guess are human. I and that, I don't. I should know this better, um, but <laughs> also their language is called that. Yeah. Um, I for, I forgot all about that. Yeah, because a lot of in the it's um, in the games it's there, but it's not forced upon you. You get a lot of it, it, it's presented to you as translated. So it's like Pepper of the Universe, but it's true they actually did make the language, right? Yeah, there's like you can go uh, in the show notes. Um, I'll have some links to. Um, there's a grammar and um, a dictionary and lovely. Yeah, it's really cool. That's intense. Um, that's a whole lot of work for something that people didn't even have to look at. It's, it's that's, so I mean, that's cool. good though, right? Because it, it I was going to say, the- Stephen, that is what we do. <laughs> You're right. You're totally right. <laughs> but like, it, it adds a lot to the game for those for those people looking into it. Yeah. Um, and maybe I mean that it might have um helped them build the game too. I know that like we've uh, for Vengeance, we have a whole bunch of like story ideas and concepts and stuff that we're probably not going to get into in the game, but they help reinforce what we're going to do in the game. So that, I mean, it, it, it makes sense to go ahead to do that stuff. And that really cuts to the purpose of, of what a lot of this does, right, Martha? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. It, 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 it's not just a fun exercise. It builds out your, the credibility of your universe. Yes, right? it makes it more believable mm-hmm. um, and uh, more real to the, per, to the player, um, especially players who have motivation for playing games to like really dig into that um, lore and ex- like really explore all the nooks and crannies and secrets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But speaking of a lot of work, <laughs> uh, Far Cry Primal is set in prehistoric times yeah. mm-hmm. and they got a bunch of linguists on staff and they took this reconstructed language, Proto-Indo-European, which is the hypothesis of what the language was before uh, in Europe before it split into all of the different. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, so included in Proto-Indo-European uh, as descendants are all the Romance languages, all the Germanic languages, all the Celtic languages, and then it spreads all, like the Indo part spread all the way over to India. So Sanskrit is part of Indo-European. Hmm. Um, and yeah, it's super cool. So um, is this... Is, is this uh, language that is there's no evidence of it necessarily but is there uh how is how is it hypothesized like is it just sort of 
analytically determined to be so? Yeah. So a lot of historical linguists have, have gone and compared like, oh, wow, look at how similar all these words are mm-hmm. in different languages. Like um, the word for father in all of them are like father, Vader, yeah, yeah. or pa, um, padre, that sort of thing. Oh. And then um, there's uh, processes that languages do as they change um, that are all very similar. Mm-hmm. There's two conflicting forces going on where one way language wants to get easier and easier to say. Yeah. The other side is language has to be easily understood. Right. <laughs> so um, when things are getting easier to say, um, they'll, there's a, it's called the sonority scale. Um, Stephen, write that down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so um, at the top of it are things like consonants like t and k and mm-hmm. Uh, devoiced, so no, no, your vo- vocal cords aren't being used. Ah, there's so much vocabulary. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're called stops um, because you completely stop the, the yeah. air coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those change to, like, they go down the scale to voiced things. So duh and guh and buh mm-hmm. uh, are all just, are the same shape. Your mouth is making the same shape. You're just also using your voice box and they're easier to say because um, vowels are are voice vowels anyway which is what most languages have (laughs) Um, uh, are using your voice box so it's easier to not stop the vibration Mm -hmm. and just keep it going Um, and so yeah so by comparing all these different words in these in these different languages um, and like realizing oh they're all they must have some common ancestor um, and so they uh, linguists are like, okay, what's the most probable um, sound that this started as? Right. Um, by like, was you know, did it when it split into two different languages? Did it change to? Did it stay a p and turn to a b, or was it a b and changed to a p? And most likely, it was a p and changed to a b. So that's what we'll say is the the most. Probable. Yeah. So that's why it's a hypothesis is because we don't have any record of it or anything. Right, right. But through these techniques. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the linguists for Far Cry Primal took um, this uh, Proto-Indo-European and then went even farther back and made um, uh, three different languages based off of what could, be, could have been languages that, oh, sure. that Proto-Indo-European started as <laughs> right and they didn't have to be as rigorous they could they could make some probability yeah. and then make some creative choices yes yeah that's fantastic wow okay yeah. that's really cool it's better than like um martha find fire or something yeah like they do <laughs> in a lot of those and i was reading an article like the actors the voice actors got super into it and like started learning like the grammar and everything Whoa. and like we're talking to each other in it off like off mic um so that's pretty cool yeah um, what other games have had conlang? Skyrim had the dragon language. Yes, uh, Dovahkiin. No, Dovahkiin is the fighter. I've, I've just been spending so much time playing <laughs> Skyrim. You think I know the language? It's <laughs> Da and all that. Mm-hmm. It's dragon speak. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Uh, and Legends of Zelda has Hylian. It does. That's right. How detailed is that? Because I know in the most recent one, there's like uh, glyphs that you see on signs, mm-hmm. and they're, they're almost English. 
And they feel like a very clever, like there's a system there, but it, it doesn't feel like it's a linguistic system. It's, it's more of a kind of a, you're sort of meant to sort of cross your eyes a little bit and then it's supposed to feel like you almost understand it, which they do a pretty good job of. Um, oh, but that game also has, an, well, it's not even linguistics, it's just a cipher for the ancient language. Oh, yeah. As well. That's like a whole, that's a very, that's like the, you know, the smallest way to do something like this. But, yeah, that's like if you don't have enough, like if you want to, um, make something seem mysterious or give a language to a, a something in your game but don't have a lot of time to go through like the entire work that it takes to make yeah. a whole conlang yeah. um, like just doing a, a cipher or a new script for mm-hmm. the language or um, some uh, what's it called it's like a, a naming language so it's just vocabulary mm-hmm. not necessarily a whole new structure right right I gotcha so I mean, is Hylian what more to it is it then? Um, I think it's it's mostly that. I remember in uh, uh, Legends of the Wind Waker, uh, if you beat it, if when you're going through the game the first time, all of the a few of the, well, I don't know what they were. They must have been like sages or something. They would speak Hylian, and you didn't understand what the heck they were saying. But when you went through it the second time, you were playing in uh, in Link's like pajamas or something. Oh, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> when you're playing in, when you're playing the second time through, like it translates all that in English. Yeah. So there might be some rhyme or re- reason to it. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. What else you got? This is really fun. <laughs> yeah. No Man's Sky has That's right. um, the whole language mechanic where mm-hmm. when you find on the planets, you can find these shrines that will give you a vocabulary word in one of the languages. Oh, um, and then one of my when, favorite mechanics in that game. It's so cool. Yeah. And then like when you're talking to the aliens, like when you don't know any words, it's just gobbledygook, and then you have to pick an answer randomly, basically, and yeah. see if what they say, because eh. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you collect the words, they fill in mm-hmm. when they're talking, um, which is super cool, because like when you're learning a language, um, you like like easy vocabulary words are basically what you pick up first. And right. so you're like, I'm listening to this person. I don't know what they're saying, but oh, that word meant book. They said something <laughs> book, something, yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I do that all the time. I'm learning Japanese using Duolingo um, and they're just giving me a bunch of words. So I remember the words and now I'm starting to sort of piece together the, the, the way that a sentence is structured mm-hmm. a little bit. It just takes me a while. Yeah, all the French I learned in school is just slowly dripping out my ears. But um, when I watch uh, films in French, uh, I, it's just those couple of words. And then you realize how much of language is filler. You mm-hmm. can really, just from context clues, you can get whole sentences. Um, and so it makes it, I can still watch a French film without staring down at the lower third the whole time. Just, it's good. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, we'll see how long that lasts. But, <laughs> cool. but just a little bit goes a long way. And then with No Man's Sky, it's the same thing. You see just one or two translated words and you're like, oh, I get this. And, yeah. But it depends on which ones they are. And that, that's, and even though I think, I'm kind of, I'm not certain, but I think, I don't think all the words are translatable. I think even if you were to find every one available, um, you, it would still be some in there. And so I, they do a pretty good job of like making it even look more in depth than, than it is, which is already pretty uh, in depth. So I, I, that very much impressed me. Yeah. That was one of the, for all the complaints I had with No Man's Sky, that mm-hmm. was one part that was like, ah, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Nerded out. Um, and then, Stephen, you said Fez. You oh want to talk goodness. about Fez. <laughs> I don't exactly. I don't know if I brought it up before um, on the show or not. But yeah, I when so uh, a lot of people have played Fez by now. This is a game where you play as a, this little white 
person thing with the fez on his head mm-hmm. and uh you can uh turn the the world around in a bunch of different dimensions and stuff that's, it, the, plays with that's it. the least excited i've heard anyone describe fez <laughs> <laughs> okay i have like a, a sort of a it's not a grudge it's just i had i did a thing it, okay so anyways there's like there, there's a language in fez that um that is generally you don't even have to pay attention to they have them all the signs and stuff but everybody for the most well no not everybody speaks English, but most of the characters speak English. Uh, some of the characters speak this this language, but you don't need to know what they say. Mm-hmm. Eventually, though, if you want to complete the game, you have to you, you know get all those yellow cubes. Um, you have to start translating those signs and things. Um, and so I looked up how to translate things. What's the what's that cryptography? Mm-hmm. I looked up how to do cryptography and stuff in order for this game. Like how I, dare, that's awesome. How dare it teach you a skill? <laughs> I know. <laughs> like um, I guess what one thing you had to do is like you look for the letter that appears the most frequent because this is just translated from English. Yeah. Um, you look for the letter that appears most frequently, um, which would be E. Um, and you if you, when you find that you recognize that that's probably E. So you write that down as E, and then you just keep doing that for a lot of stuff. I I don't remember all the stuff because I did it years in the past when I had more time to do this mess. But but anyways, I went through and I found all these crazy signs and stuff and I uh, like wrote down what the things were and I made estimates and guesses and uh, what these uh, words could possibly mean, particularly in the context and all this. And I translated all of it um, and then I found out later that there's this there's this uh, podium, not a podium, I think it's like a, a statue that just has uh, the quick uh, brown fox jumps over the lazy dog that mm-hmm. has all the letters and I could have just looked at that instead of translating <laughs> well that's I, a good game design tip is to, is to if you're going to have something that needs that translation yeah. I mean there's nothing wrong with making people go to the internet especially if it's like an easter egg thing mm-hmm. but like having a Rosetta Stone like that right in, in your game as part of the mechanics of the game is fairly useful I just didn't know it was a Rosetta Stone yeah until I found out too late. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, but now you—that's cool. Though. Now you remember a little of that cryptography, I imagine. Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> you were so mad you had to learn it, you immediately forgot it. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I don't need to know it now, so uh, yeah. But I mean, but yeah. what if you had to break the code, Stephen? Well, also, <laughs> and everything you know, was counting on you. Fez two well, got canceled, so you really don't need to know it anymore. That's also true. Oh <laughs> well, so sad. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so in addition to uh, video games, there's also some cool board games that I've been following um, that are all about language, mm. which is cool. It's this uh, game company called Thorny Games, mm. and they are run by computational linguistic people. Mm-hmm. This game that they just did a Kickstarter for is called Dialect, a game about language and how it dies. Whoa. Um, wow. That got really dark. Yeah. I didn't expect it to go that direction. That's it's so in, cool. such an inviting title. Like, right? I, I want nothing more than to play that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like in the game you build a language and then you also are... I'll just read the description. It's really cool. Uh, in dialect, we follow the story of a community in isolation and as seen through their language. We explore how the community's speech evolves as they face challenges, establish values, and contrast themselves from the society they've left behind. Super cool. Nice. So language as mechanic. That's really cool. Yeah. So I highly recommend to check that out when it comes out. I think you can pre-order it mm-hmm. um, even without, even though the Kickstarter is over. Well, this is great because we can get you playing board games. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, oh, no, this is a trick. This is a trick. <laughs> you even got it to go along with it, too. Dang. <laughs> That's great. It's your trick. <laughs> I, uh, what's it called when you goof on yourself? 
self-own? Self-own. Congratulations, <laughs> you fooled yourself. <laughs> you should get, I will totally play that with you. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yay. <laughs> yeah, so I guess now uh, we should talk about if you're going to make language for your game, what are some of the things that you want to think about? Well, I got to start making a fish language now. Oh my God. No, yes. I'm, not, I'm not, probably not. Steven. <laughs> no, don't give Lane any ideas. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. They can just blub. Yeah, I'm on board with okay. that. Okay, blub. <laughs> blub, blub. <laughs> just blub in Morse code. Yeah, yeah blub, 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 blub. <laughs> yeah. That'd be kind of awesome, actually. Yeah. One thing that I think you touched on a little bit at the top that I'm, th- I'm definitely thinking about for my game is, is like, is jargon. Mm. Is is building a vocabulary, I mean, not a language, but a vocabulary yeah. of terms to to. So basically, I've, I may, I don't know if I've talked about this before on the show, but like one of the things I've learned in recent years is how one of the things that Scientology does to keep to keep its cult members on board is just have mountains of jargon mm. so that you feel part of a community and. The, it's a very dangerous tool, but it can be very useful if you're not evil. So, <laughs> so I, but I, I think about in those terms a lot, the idea of like making something feel real and making, get, p- getting people invested in something mm-hmm. by giving it, giving it substance right. we, we more than just in, descriptions. We do that in League of Legends and stuff, you know, sure. in video games in general. I don't know what anybody, like if I talked to my cousin and I said, did you play the latest MOBA? They wouldn't know what the heck I was talking about. Right, exactly. But we know what that is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, think, <laughs> I think about that a lot for when I design like menus and things that are, the way things are described. Like, do you call it an item or a power up? Uh-huh. Things like that. Oh, yeah. And, and stuff like that. Um, that's, I mean, that's maybe just adjacent to the topic. But I think that's, a, that's I think a lot of people, whether you're going to be making a language or not, this is important to know mm-hmm. because it, Everyone's going to touch on it at least a little bit yep. when they make their their. Yeah, uh, we had a, a conflict in Fingence before where we have a system where you can upgrade your ship after every, uh, after you complete a level, and um, you can upgrade now four stats. One of the stats was called Hull initially, and it was really just a way to increase the health that your character had before they died. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people didn't know what the heck that meant, even though like you're piloting your um, the characters are piloting ships. We thought it, we were being clever. You're upgrading your hull, not your health. Um, we just decided later on and just change it to health. And yeah. Everybody knows what that means. So mm-hmm. um, it worked out. Well, that's the thing is if you want to, to give it jargon of your own, you, mm-hmm. you need to do the hard work of like bringing players on board, right. which is probably easier to do in like a big, vast adventure game than it is in like the arcade games that you and I are making. Yeah. Right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Cause people don't read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the one. That's one of the clubhouse rules. <laughs> So if you really want to go the whole way, <laughs> uh, I've, I have two books that I really suggest. The first is The Language Construction Kit by Mark Rosenfelder. Um, and it goes step by step through all the decisions you have to make. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, of linguistics concepts in here, too, if you want to learn more about that. Um, also, Describing Morphosyntax, A Guide for Field Linguists by Thomas E. Payne. Um, which isn't about making languages, but it's about for when uh, linguists are describing a language and making a grammar for it. But it's 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 also useful because you can do that process by discovering your own language, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, in learning any language, you learn <laughs> so much more about your your native language. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing um, that most people start with when they're making languages what sounds are in the language and what do i want it to sound like oh um huh something i didn't consider (laughs) oh (laughs) 
Well, <laughs> a, lo- a lot of times, now this is true in like movies and TV where there are constructed languages, mm-hmm. is they start out with that question and they don't go much further than that because that's sometimes all you need to convince an audience. You know? Yeah. It is, it's incredibly important. It's the core of, of some of these things. Yeah, like, uh, well, Klingon has its own vocabulary and, and grammar and it like, is, has a whole language. It, is, it has a, a language institute devoted to its study and yes. research. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, but the sounds of it are yeah. like very recognizable. Like you, then they wanted it that way, mm-hmm. like to make it sound really aggressive and and like uh, the different languages in, I guess the ones I think of are all ones that are like super in depth, like Tolkien's languages. They're all right, right. Uh, except for the, I was reading that the language on the ring itself, the the dark. Oh, the, the thing about ring. the one ring. Yeah, oh. that one is one of the ones that he didn't make everything for. Ah. Um, but it just sounds really creepy. Right. Uh, so like the, that one sentence, like the one paragraph is translated, but there isn't much else yeah, yeah. Um, there, but it's convincing. So I want to, before you go further, I did, I, I know a little bit about Klingon surprise, surprise, <laughs> but the, the story of it is actually really good. And it fits into kind of the, what you're oh, talking yeah, about here yeah. is so um, for Star Trek three, that they wanted to come up with some Klingon words and stuff. And so actually James Doohan, who plays Scotty on the show, he also did a lot of the character voices on the Star Trek animated series. And so for some reason it was his job to like come up with some, like just some sample words they could use. And like, I guess cause he was had, had an interest or something. Um, this actually might've been before that movie, but Star Trek three is when Klingon first appears as a language. And so, but then it, from that purely as just like noises, then uh, linguist uh, Mark Orkand, we'll put it in the show notes, he uh, developed as a further language for the, the movies and then later Star Trek The Next Generation. And there's a book, The Klingon Dictionary. Oh, that's awesome. Which um, is not really a suitable teaching tool, but it's a great, if you're a Star Trek fan or you're interested in like, how, how constructed languages are built, it's amazing because um, it was probably one of the first like, languages that was not Tolkien, right? Uh, like a constructed language for fiction that took seriously the idea of, of not just vocabulary. And not just the sounds, but also the syntax and the grammar and the, you know, the idea that there are like, there's no word for sorry in Klingon, you know what I mean? So that's funny and that makes sense to the universe, but also then, well, then how does the language account for that? And so there's little things like that. And so it, how it's, does the language account for that? I don't they just don't, I don't say sorry. Well, it, 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 but that's, that's part of what then that drives their question. No, I, right? I understand. But no, that's, that's the, you know, that's the whole point of it is that, and you know, if you're making your own language, those are questions you want to, little novelties you put in there that can then help you know, make the, the culture you're creating around it make more sense. But Klingon's definitely an example of that. The other Star Trek one is Vulcan, which is actually not a full language at all. It's really huh. mostly just sounds because the first Star Trek movie in 1979, um, they had scenes on the planet Vulcan and they were kind of like mystic, mystic sort of ceremony scenes. And after they shot it, they're like, you know, we really should have come up with like a fake language and put subtitles here. And so rather than reshoot the scene, they just had, again, James Doohan, and, and I, I'm not sure who else was helping at that point, but come up with sounds that would fit in the, in the actors' mouths uh, that were already on set speaking English. Huh. And so they changed the script slightly so that, and, and then, uh, so that they wouldn't look like they were reading lips. And then uh, had the actors do voiceovers that matched their lip movements of the original English script. Oh, my God. Because it, <laughs> because it was a huge, expensive scene, and they just didn't really want to redo it. And so, and, th- and that also derived how the language sounds because it had to make sense. So that really, you come at it from any which way. Wow. Um, That's kind of amazing. I'm, inc- <laughs> I'm really impressed with that because then later you would see, you know, some examples of Vulcan words, but it's really, it's not a language the way that Klingon is. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it just depends on what you need it for. 
and what circumstances cause you to need it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. See, I didn't know that about Vulcan. I thought, huh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I think there is some some number of vocabulary words, but it doesn't really have as much detail. You couldn't run a, like do a course on it. No, no, no. Yeah, that's really interesting. Now I'm thinking about Star Trek. Um, Success. <laughs> or rather, kapla. I think, I think you went into... <laughs> That's the Klingon word for success. Of course it is. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think you went into a little bit of what Martha was going to talk about, though, right? Like, um, like a lot of you have to. If the the language you construct for your game is going to give the player a particular kind of feeling about mm-hmm. that the culture or the people that are using that language. So you have to you have to consider that when you're when you're constructing this language, right? Yeah. So do you want to sound them the sound like? Well, it all is perceptive on on what language you speak natively. Yeah. But for for um, English speakers, like having a lot of like uh, like sounds that we don't have, um, or like really harsh sounding um, things for like evil character or like evil uh, the bad guys or whatever yeah. in your game, or maybe like flipping that on its side so- uh, on on its head and being like, oh, the like super gentle nice aliens are Mm -hmm. the ones that speak with like (laughs) (laughs) um for figuring out different sounds um there's this thing called the international phonetic alphabet Mm. which is super cool and you should all look it up and we should all be writing in it forever so that we don't have to learn (laughs) crazy spelling but it's got all the sounds that humans make in known languages and also things that are possible sounds to be mm-hmm. made. Oh. It's all arranged in a grid for all the different constants and different vowels uh, based on like where your tongue is placed in your mouth and if your teeth are being used and what sort of sound it is. So like I t- talked before about stops mm-hmm. uh, are when you stop the air completely. Um, then there's things called fricatives, uh, which are when you make a like vibration. So uh, f- and v- and uh, hmm. um, <laughs> and there's syllabants which are s- like s sounds mm-hmm. um, and I can't remember what r's are. It's the word for r's. <laughs> and then the same thing for vowels. So like where your tongue is is placed. Um, there's also uh, like on a whole separate graph. There's things like clicks. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting to see it and gets you ideas that you might not think of um, because we just, once you are a native speaker of a language, those are the sounds you think of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. Are there, are there language, I know there's sign language, but other than that, are there other languages that like don't use speech to speak? Oh yeah. I don't know about that, but there are languages that use things that are other than just vocalizations uh-huh. um, uh, um, they use like a uh, tone okay um, and, right. and pitch to, yeah, to, uh, to differentiate that's Chinese right that does that I think is that so I think yeah like you can get a whole bunch of different words with the same or you can get a whole bunch of different meanings with the same sound sure um, but it depends on how you how you say the sound yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. can't remember the example I heard but I remember it was kind of dirty so I <laughs> on the air. Uh, <laughs> well in English and like in romantic languages and many languages mm-hmm. like the, the the inflection and tone of your voice changes 
meaning and it's a different kind of, of, of language that's apart from the words you say. Yeah. And so languages that have those as part of its basic understanding are then either limited or there's some dimension that's different for that. And I find that incredibly fascinating. Mm. Um, it, just like how that there's certain languages don't have certain colors for, or certain names for certain colors means that you don't necessarily approach, that you don't describe things in those terms. Um, I find that really interesting. And inventing a language where you have to be looking away, as I say, just an example, you have to be looking away from the person you're talking to to mean one thing, and looking at them means another thing. Oh. Like when you say something, like, just imagine something like that. Yeah. Well, then suddenly that limits your ability to use where you look as another communication tool. Mm. Um, mm. Or it gives it extra meaning. You yeah, know? I was kind of thinking about that. Like, like if you're, purposely mispronouncing a word, but yeah. you know, you could all sorts of social cues and stuff you can define that's well beyond, but has things you can map to. You know how we communicate more than just verbally. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking like like you could wink while you're saying. I guess you already do that. Uh-huh. You can wink while you're saying stuff, and you mean sarcasm or not sarcasm or something. Yeah, um, I remember there's like uh, aliens in Mass Effect that whenever they started, whenever they were talking to other uh, peoples. Uh, other alien races, they would always um, begin with the emotion that they're intending because when they communicated, um, they always they talked monotonally, yeah, monotonally, monotonally, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, uh, they uh, they with people of their race, they could express their emotion through smells, I believe, mm-hmm. that other uh, races could not uh, pick up on. So right. they'd be like, um, uh, I don't know, angry. Uh, did you eat my food this morning? <laughs> Something like that. What I, li- I liked about those characters was uh-huh. the um, the descriptions would usually be two words. Yeah, right. Like um, I, I don't, I can't think of a great example either. But like they were such that those descriptions were also then became part of like the culture of their language, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And they're volu- you know, they volunteer it. Whereas when you speak to someone in a, in a you know one of our real world languages, you're not always intentionally communicating your 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 emotions but right. you sometimes you're unintentionally doing it yeah so a race that has to choose to communicate that then also that's a question of like is this person lying to me on that dimension or they didn't really get into it because that's mostly oh, a comedy yeah. race in that game oh like, I they mostly serve true. as kind of a silly yeah kind of you know like a comedy of errors kind of miscommunication sort of deal but like you could there's lots of dramatic potential for that kind of thing where it's true where you have to self-report your emotions you know yeah. with your language goodness that would be an interesting game, just like the the how to communicate with somebody else. Like you'd have to, and especially like if they spoke a different language that you just didn't understand, mm-hmm. you'd have to figure out some way to communicate with them, in 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 it, so they you can get your meaning across and they can get their meanings across with uh, mutually. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I can imagine some like a scenario, like a you know you're in a space station and you need to turn off the auto destruct. But the person who doesn't speak your language is the only one who has access to that button, yeah. and doesn't know the station's going to blow. You know, stuff like that would be, yeah, yeah. Be oh, that'd be thing. so cool. You could, it'd be like L.A. Noir, but like any good. Like, <laughs> whoa, shots fired. <laughs> I, I wanted that game to be great, and it just wasn't. <laughs> I, 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 it was okay. <laughs> it, it was okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. The <laughs> distraction. <laughs> Speaking of signed languages, though, um, this isn't a made-up language, but. Um, What's the game with the mouse that's going to be coming out? It's a VR most, game. Most games use the mouse. Ah. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> There's a game called Moss that's coming out soon that has this little mouse mm-hmm. and cuz the mouse can't talk to you, um it they're animating it to sign do sign language at you. It's so cool. It's yeah. really cute. It's the animation is so good. It is. And it's um yeah, it's it's cute but not 
real like not overly cute it's it's fantastic yeah i took a class on sign language at some point yeah for sure I mean, yeah oh that reminds me of explicitly having to like say your emotions mm-hmm. um in sign language uh, uh when people are learning it who aren't uh native speakers of it often sign language speakers are like you're so monotone and and <laughs> like because in sign language you have to like really show that your emotion on your face like that's yeah. part of it is being like you can't see my face right but right. <laughs> <laughs> um that's like part of the meaning making of of that of signing mm-hmm. um so yeah so that's one place where people kind of explicitly have to say yeah uh, what they mean you know that's actually sign language is another example i don't know it uh, but i i've heard about it that it's um its sentence structure is far simplified for efficiency and so you know like um connecting words and stuff like that will tend to just be like dropped because they're not necessary and they slow you down and so a lot of that additional meaning and context are required to to sort of be understood properly not mm-hmm. just because it's not a vocal language uh, but because of the, the innovations that it, have been developed over time in that language. Yeah. That's the thing. Is like as language changes, um, some parts get really simplified, mm-hmm. but that requires other parts to get more complicated. Yeah. And so it's like this. That push-pull yeah, you were describing. Push-pull that's so, I've, n- I've never heard it in those terms, but that's, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. It's really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let me just quickly go through some of the other things. Yeah, and okay. um, so phonology is how all these sounds that you pick work together. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, like in like the sonority scale that I was talking about, um, sometimes that happens in uh, words just internally. Like there are rules that are like, okay, if, you're, if you say this word, um, but then you add the ending onto the end, then it will change the letter uh, that you say in between, like, um, I can't think of an English example. Um, but this happens in like Finnish, Finnish language yeah. a lot. Helsinki is the capital of Finland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you're saying, I'm in Helsinki, you would say, Mina Olen Helsingissa. So you drop, it changes to an ng sound instead of a k. Huh. Mm. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, that is cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are examples in English where like, you're, you're like, why is a word conjugated that way? Because it, it doesn't make sense per spelling. Yeah. But, but per, per vocalization, it, it, it evolved to that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, well, I think that some, some words that we use are, some words that we regularly use are like conjugated weirdly and that makes it more confusing. I can't come up with an example. <laughs> but yeah, it happens sometimes too. Eng- English is complicated more because of conjugating stuff because it's borrowed in a lot of words yeah. it has many mothers and fathers as a language right <laughs> yeah is that is uh, english is very frequently described by english speakers as a complicated language but i sometimes i feel it's just us thinking we're special um is it's is as that, complicated as it it's complicated for one way and then easier in the, another sure. way just like it's this whole push-pull thing yeah. yeah and it's more complicated for some speakers of different like depending on what language you speak yeah for example for English speakers, it's easier to learn German, harder to learn Finnish, for example, just because the vocabulary oh, right. is so different. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's just what was on my mind. It's harder to learn um, Chinese, too, because yeah. or Mandarin, because Chinese actually describes lots and lots of different languages that aren't necessarily related to each other. Sure. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, the two I know of that most people do, Mandarin and Cantonese, but there's others as well? 
Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, and Mandarin and Cantonese aren't related very closely. Are those right. languages or dialects? <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, <laughs> and don't they so, share some some writing systems? Uh, yeah, I think they have the same okay. writing system. But they're not like they're not derived from the same like root tongue. I don't. I. Th- I have to look that up, but I think okay. they're not like they're not as closely related as the word Chinese would right, would right. make you think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, uh, like Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish are basically um, dialects of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so the difference between a language and a dialect is that if it's a, a dialect, it's that every people who speak different dialects can mutually understand each other. Yep. So, like we go down, if we go down south, we'll be able to understand people in the south. Or if we go to Britain, we don't understand people in Britain. Um, so there's different dialects. But if, uh, yeah, if you can't understand each other, then they're two different languages. Right, right. And it's fuzzy because... Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, where, where does Cockney fall in the place there? Isn't that the, the English? Like, well, yeah. <laughs> I can't do the voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, languages, different languages have come out of that originally were uh-huh. dialects. So like okay. all the romance languages were originally Latin and then there were different Latin dialects that so slowly as the groups were isolated from each other. Like if you go across from France to Spain, like all in between you'll find people who speak things that are like halfway in between oh, okay. almost. Yeah. Or like French with a, sp- a Spanish accent or mm-hmm. whatever. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Cool. Mm-hmm. Even on the uh, the... English Isles, like the like Welsh. Yeah, Welsh and Irish and Scottish and Cornish and um, they're all Celtic languages. So yeah. they're all related in far back to Indo-European. Mm-hmm. But there's a I will link a tree. There's yeah. a tree, a whole tree about how um, closely related things are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're on a different branch, but yeah. they're still related in that they're in proto or they're in oh, Indo-European. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. There's so much stuff. It's a crazy awesome field. Yeah. Um, and I wish I could talk about it for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, me and Dylan really want to start a linguistics podcast so that we can just do this. <laughs> well, um, I want to ask you about, um, like we're talking about sort of first steps, like what you want to, how you want it to sound. Um, like where, it, like, let's say, I mean, no one has all the time in the world, right? And you have to fix all your bugs anyway. So there's like there's only yeah. so much you can do mm-hmm. if you want to add something like this to, to your game. Um, you know, would a good place to be to start with like a language that you want it, like a known language you want it to sound like and start basing it from there? Is it better to just start clean and then start bringing in sources later? Like what's, what's maybe, what are some like maybe do's and don'ts about oh. this sort of thing? Would you recommend? Um, I don't think there's a wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a good sign actually. Think, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's creativity in the end maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, I put a bunch of links in the show notes, um, but there's a really good podcast um, that uh, I like to listen to called Con Langery, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they go through a lot of this too. Like they're making their own uh, languages too, um, and they have some advice on on uh, how to start. But generally, people think like starting with with how you want it to sound is generally where all the, the advice goes mm-hmm. um, and then sort of, and what's important in your, in the culture of the language that you're yeah. doing. So, um, cause I will drive, cause you don't have all the time and you can't make 
everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's most important is what you should get to first. So like say um, your the the culture you're making the language for in your game is like um, super into um, weapons and knives and things like that. So you'd want to make all those vocabulary words first. Yeah. Um, and or like if they're a magic based thing, then you'd want to make like all those words first. Mm-hmm. Um, just so that if you don't get to something, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also like what you start with and what you sort of how you scope this sort of thing. Um, it there's a sort of benefit I think it, compared to other elements you're doing. Um, like if you're doing art for your game, you want to make sure that you're designing your character sprite that you know with the amount of pixels you're going to be using before you really get into it. Whereas the thing with a language, you could be a little sloppier because that's how language is. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think about like Klingon or like Dothraki from Game of Thrones, another famous one, where they just start out with some with the, they're just a core concept and not much more, and then you just add to it as you need it, and you solve contradictions as you need to, and leave them in there because that's how language works too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I think that that sounds it almost sounds like the it has it might not just have the fewest rules of any creative endeavor. <laughs> Right. I've pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you make up the rules as you go along, pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, yeah, there's no real wrong way to do it. It's just fun. That's good. <laughs> Is that a good note to go out on? You think? I think so. All right. There's more stuff I want to say, but well, we'll I'll say it for a we'll different. We'll definitely time. have a part two on this. I think it'll be really fun. Yeah. What we'll have to do, Martha, is you're going to have to put an invented language in your point and click. <gasps> oh, <laughs> scope creep. <laughs> We should talk about Skull Creep. Why would we not talk about Skull Creep? I mean, I think... Because we're scared, Stephen. I mean, yeah, man. Skull Creep is scary. All right. Okay. So I wanted to talk about um, making tools for video games because uh-huh. I did that recently with Vengeance. It's not like a super fancy tool or anything, but um, we have a... We have... So Unity is unique and... Well, maybe it's not unique, but it's annoying in that like you have to <laughs> <laughs> have different scenes... Uh, to test things out when you're working with a team, because um, when you're when you're branching things and uh, stuff in Git and what and whatnot, uh, Unity scenes often will mess around with that stuff. Yeah, very we, poorly. I think we should direct listeners to our episode on version control, where Martha yes. describes how terrible this is. Oh yeah, and also calms you and says you can do it. So, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, you're describing that process that how it relates to Unity specifically. Right. Yes. Yes. So I um, we have different testing scenes, but um, we have a tool in each of the testing scenes uh, we use to like spawn different characters mm-hmm. and spawn them with different. Um, um, upgrades or um, add-on gadgets or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recently went in there and I adjusted the UI in it so it was more convenient to use. Uh, initially, it didn't have all the features that it was supposed to have because it's, it's more complicated than I thought to make it. But yeah. um, it was kind of fun. You're talking uh, about things that you would otherwise have to edit scripts for? Right. Okay, you just made, you made little UI components uh, for in the editor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I can... Yeah, because initially what we used to have to do is we'd have to like go into the to our uh, not resource in our assets folders mm-hmm. and find whatever augment or whatever we wanted to um, give this character. We had to find that and then drag it in. And sometimes we drag it in the wrong spot, so then the character wouldn't spawn. So we'd have to start over. And oh, it's a okay. whole thing. But now I made it so like you click a button and it load all of the augments and add-ons that um, this character has. And you can just pick from a drop-down menu. It's really convenient now. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, I should make a GIF of that and we can put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I did that um, and it was, it, it, I, I was a little burnt out on Fingence because I had spent a whole bunch of time getting ready for 2D Con. And um, I finally, I, I, in order to get myself back into it, I uh, started making this tool because I was just messing with stuff because I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I, I was curious um, if you two had ever like 
done something like that, made a tool for your game in order to make uh, testing or working on the game more or quick, more easier to do. Um, I, I have a level editor in my game. Yeah, um, it's not of my. It's not. It's not entirely of my own design. The the engine that I'm using has some recommendations on this, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I'm not using Unity, so I don't have like this sort of canvas that I can draw right into. Uh, it's all code, pretty much. Um, but a lot of the assets come from uh, like a, a an Adobe Animate stage where I design them, and so um, I can export. What I can do is I can place my platforms and objects as just blank like. On you know squares with no art on them, yeah, and then um, I can export that out as like as a as a Swift, which then is just it's just a, a binary file, which then my application will read, and then will uh, cycle through and look for all the objects in this Swift, and then it will um, redraw them on stage at the place that I put them, working with this animation tool. So it makes level design really quick and easy for me. And one of the things I did recently was instead of, I've, I modified the code that comes with the engine I'm using that, that sort of helps decode all the objects in this binary. Mm-hmm. And I made it so that instead of having a different binary file for each level, because my levels, there's not a lot in them, right? So they're very, in terms of how many bytes it takes to load these things, there's not a lot of, 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 of stress on the thing. So all my levels are now in one object, which okay. gets cached. Uh, in my system, and then that way, my my sort of object creator script um, will just look for what frame it, the level's on. So my oh. my my levels are an animation where each level is one frame of animation. Oh, that's how it's that's how it wow. is. But what's nice about that is that all my levels are open in one document at the same time. So I can copy and paste. I can page through and take a look. Um, anytime I need to um, edit the properties of an object, I, it, it's un- it happens to all the objects instead of having to go through each file and doing it. Mm-hmm. It is made like prototyping new levels so much faster. Yeah. Um, just by reorienting the logic of, of some of the sort of scripts that were sort of available to me and just making them my own. So yeah, it's amazing how quickly you'll just, you'll bang your head up against the problem for a long time. Like, and it's all workflow. It's like, oh, this is how it's supposed to work. It's working fine, but it's not working for me. Right. And then you find a way to make it work for you. Okay. And, yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martha, have you done something like that? Uh, I haven't made any <laughs> tools for my games. That I've made, um, I guess they've been. Most of them have been so small that uh, it would take longer to make the tool than to. <laughs> um, that's true. I mean, Stephen and I are both in year three of our projects. Oh yeah. So that's when the drive for that really, oh yeah, really k- kicks you <laughs> is because you've been doing those old workflows for so long. Right. I was going to ask about that too. Um, there, I mean, there comes a point where making the tool. Um, is more time consuming than just, you know, dealing with whatever the problem is. Uh-huh. How do you know when uh, making this tool for your, for your game is more, effi- more efficient? Well, I guess you won't ever know I'll until say the end. There's an example where the, the, the charts and graphs in my game, yeah. um, I, I did a lot to make those um, uh, where I could uh, draw up a new chart very simply. This is, so we talked about this in the API section where you, I built mm-hmm. my own API for this, which is sort of in, in the same neighborhood. I am fairly certain I wasted like two months on that, and I didn't need to. I could have just, I didn't have to abstract it as much as I did. Yeah, I'm really, I, I'm proud of it, but like the, it, it's now it's so capable and flexible, but I'm never going to use those features that I built yeah. for it. So I think the answer is you never know. Um, partly yeah. because building these kinds of things are is fun, and, right. you, and you feel like you're making progress. Yep. So it's hard to know when yeah, you're wasting I, your time. I felt like I was learning stuff from it, and I also felt like. For the most part, it probably wasn't worth it for me to do all of it because it took me like a week, mm-hmm. and um, it doesn't take it doesn't take um, a lot of time 
for us to find the file and drag it in. It's just tedious. Yeah. Um, so it'll help us. Quality of life stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll help us, and it's nice, but I don't know how much it benefited. It, it definitely helped me in terms of knowledge. Yeah. I wanted to learn about it, and so I did. Yeah, even if it doesn't make your work faster, it'll make it more, a little more fun, a little less annoying. Right. And, and yeah, you'll learn things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes. Sure. That's cool. There was this talk at GDC, mm-hmm. uh, the Game Developers Conference, this past year um, that was uh, just about, it was like a panel, not a panel, just a series of micro talks mm-hmm. uh, of people who had made tools for making games. Yeah. Um, and apparently they do this, they've done this multiple years. Um, and it was really interesting. There was someone who made a tool for making procedurally generated animations. Oh. Because it had this little slime thing. Uh, and he wanted it to be kind of goopy. Oh, yeah. I was at that talk. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. It's funny because those animations, they could have been done by hand uh, almost faster. And this was the part of the thrust of the talk was a little bit about like, we do it this way because we don't know how much work is ahead of us. Right? Yeah. And so you, you do the hard work now instead of like, but, I mean, it's a risk. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember any of the other tools that were in that talk? I didn't remember, remember that one until you mentioned it. Oh. So, um, you know, I bet, I bet if you listen to our GDC special, we probably talked about it. Today. Oh, yeah, we probably did. <laughs> <laughs> and if it was one we both went to, then we probably talked about it. Yeah. So, listener, go back in time to whenever that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that there's sort of a... Um, a little bit of a hurdle to like thinking you can make your own tools, uh-huh. right? And especially because you know we've already talked about it a couple times, like how it can sometimes be a waste or feel like a waste of time. But it, once you start realizing that like the tools you make are not that much more complicated than the tools you're already using, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them use the same languages, like your game is a lot of the, especially when you're working with like you're um, um, working mostly in code. Yeah. If you're not working in Unity, this is especially true that all the libraries and tools and helper functions and everything you have that you're already using to make your workflow go better, it's just written in the same language your game is written in. And so like, it, it becomes a lot less daunting. And that is another reason why it doesn't become sort of natural. You don't really get the impulse until you're well into a project, I think. Um, mm. Or you've got a couple under your belt, or, or you really feel like, you feel like it will be worth your time. Yeah, um, yeah, right. Because initially, we, we were just under the opinion that it would probably be too complicated to, mm-hmm. uh, to make our own uh, custom inspector for, for this uh, testing tool. Yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah, I've been working on it for three years now, and I, I just wanted to do it, so I just decided to learn. And it really wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Yeah. So just diving into it is sometimes beneficial. Just, just yeah. yeah. And you don't beneficial. describe yourself as a programmer. So like, I do that's, not. That's, 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 that's encouraging. <laughs> that like, yeah. Even if you don't feel like that's your area, it's not as daunting, perhaps. Yeah, like game dev in general is not as daunting as you think. <laughs> 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 One thing that I've been thinking of making which is related to the first topic, is that I think it would be cool to make a uh, tool that would help uh, make languages for your games. Mm-hmm. That's my, been my, one of my dreams. Oh, of okay. Dream things to make. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like input um, of things, you, like this is the kinds of um, phenomes you want, these yeah. are the kinds of sounds. Ooh, and then, I like that. And then it would procedurally generate like maybe a, some lorem ipsum or something. Yeah. Like, and then they could be like, this word is this, 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 or something yeah, like right, that. Right, known vocabulary. Yeah. And then it could, yeah, it could, it could fill in a lot of the things you don't want to bother with and then write it to some JSON file or something. Yeah. And then you could like use it as a translator. Mm. I'd well, work on that with you. That's really? like fun. Oh, yeah. cool. Awesome. Throw we, that mess on the asset store or something. You, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. 
That would be awesome. I would get that. Oh, speaking of the asset store, there's a lot of people in our community who've made made tools that um, uh, Howling Moon. Yeah, right. They made super fast soft shadows, uh, which we use in Vengeance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a really nice lighting feature thing that that's in Vengeance. It's really good. Yeah, and it, it is what it says on the tin. It's it, yep, it's a fast, really great soft aesthetic shadows. edition of the game. It's super <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, good. That was a route I was thinking of. So um, for for my Star Trek VR thing, one, the solution I came up with in Unity that I'm going to be talking about at the um, at the thing tomorrow um, <laughs> is. <laughs> Is um, that I, I built this way to navigate between uh, photospheres, 3D photospheres. Mm-hmm. And I was looking up techniques on how to, because photospheres are pretty easy in Unity, but 3D photospheres require some wonky camera stuff. And it's not quite as e- easy to do, but I saw some other people who'd done something similar and I worked up my own solution. Um, but I was like, you know what? Uh, partly because it's a Star Trek thing and it's not something I can sell. It's, it was just for this one time event. But. Um, I was like, you know what? Why can't I make this into a generic and then put it on the asset store, like a way for people to create, um, like um, you know, photosphere projects? Um, and so I've, I've very much thought about that, about taking things I've built for myself and then uh, tweaking them so that they can be other people can use them. Right. Uh, that's the, that's what I was going to bring up. Uh, like when you make a tool for your game, and like I guess you're so heavily invested in it already, like we are, and I don't think we're going to add anybody to the team anytime soon. Uh, particularly because we need to get the game done. But uh, <laughs> like by making tools for this and like having your own, you, you're sort of developing your own language for your game and your game development. That was slick. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as a result, it makes it a little, it makes it less approachable for like newcomers to come in and help develop the game with you. So I think part like when you're making a tool, is it important to make it as a pro? I don't think it's important to make it approachable, but like maybe that's something to consider when you're doing it. Just yeah, because, I like, no, it depends. I mean, because yeah. if your audience is you, mm-hmm. then it's it's like when you comment your code, right? Like you 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 always want to make things a little bit for a dumber audience than you think, because you in the future is dumber than you think. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it's not going to totally grok what you were doing at the moment. So mm-hmm. I think that's similar with the tools you build. I think you want to make it a little bit more user friendly than you expect, just a itty bit. Yeah. But I think the it is it can be very easy to overwhelm yourself and like try what I have definitely done where it's like I, I'm making the tool for anybody even though I'm the only one who's going to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do intend at some point to adapt it for general use, um, I, that's probably something you can go back and do rather than yeah. think about from jump. That that would be yeah. my advice anyway, so you don't get bogged down too I guess quickly. Because that's kind of what we did for our our yeah. testing thing. It was inconvenient to use and stuff but we just built it i built i built that tool to really quickly and it mm-hmm. ended up working out really well um it just needed a, some tooling and stuff to make it more efficient yeah well i remember when um when you were posting about that uh, that in uh, in the slack yeah um someone had asked when you were choosing which character you chose a slider rather than a drop down yes I and changed, someone someone I asked changed that <laughs> oh really yeah. oh so someone asked you about it and what mm-hmm. you had said was it just was easier and i'm like oh yeah that makes sense for your purpose right that makes a lot more sense because it's just less clicking and whatever. Yeah. But you said you changed that now. I did because like um, drop downs in Unity don't work very well on my laptop because my laptop isn't super fast. Oh, um, okay. So it, it it oftentimes would lag, and the sliders work really well. So I just boop boop boop. Yeah. But uh, it was more conven- or more convenient to use the drop downs to pick your character. It's better to communicate if you were to make it a general tool, whereas the right. slider is a little hacky. Yeah. But, to, but you, in the moment, you felt it was faster for right. your needs. Yep. Yeah. And it's not like it's hard to change. Yeah, it's pretty easy to flip between the two in Unity and stuff. They, mm-hmm. they do a good job of making it approachable. 
Yeah, but um, I mean, I think that's that's it. I mean, like you went back on that change when you found good reasons to. Right. But I think it's there's nothing wrong with making a, a tool that's hacky if it works better for you. Yeah, right. And course. then and then you can think later about developing and like just like with anything, any bit of code, you can go back and and rewrite it. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. anyway. I guess it depends on the the audience you're trying to develop this this tool for. If yeah. you're just building it for yourself, then you don't have to be concerned about that. But if you're the programmer and you're developing a tool for your game designer. You want to make it as approachable for that game designer as possible. Yeah, they can work with so that the you, they're not fighting the tool in order to work with their own workflows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that definitely inspired me. Like the, I definitely spent way too much time on that chart builder in yeah. my game. <laughs> I just need to open source that. Let other people use it because <laughs> it probably would do. They would make it worth it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Throw that on the asset store. Too. <laughs> All things should go on the asset store. Finjet should go on. No. <laughs> Wait. Well, it does, it does run better in the editor, right? Let, no. <laughs> That's the only way we show it to people. Often, well, oftentimes we just show it in the editor. It's just nicer because then you don't have to like make a whole new build whenever you make edits at like a playtesting event or something. I'm not giving you the business. Okay. Just, <laughs> just teasing. Give myself the business. <laughs> That's our show. If you have not already. Subscribe to the Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or nice like us. We need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. Uh, hit us up on the feedback forum, nicegames.club slash feedback. We want to know what you think about this uh, new two-topic form. And it's not that big of a departure, but like it's a big deal for us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let, let us know. You like it? You don't like it? Do you want us to talk longer about fewer things? Shorter about more things? We want to know. Uh, also, uh, discuss this episode and others on Reddit at r slash gamedev. We post the show notes there every week. And you'll find the link directly to that thread in the show notes on our website. And it's all very Inception-y. Uh, <laughs> or you can just go to, uh, to r slash gamedev uh, probably right after you get this. And you'll see that in the, the, the first page or two of, of, uh, of links. Uh, we hear directly from you, of course. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club, where Martha tells you the what what. <laughs> and let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics and also ask us your questions, of course. Lastly, you want to find more about the show and your nice host, as well as get all the links and notes from this and other episodes. You can do that at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. I make all these scripts and nobody reads them. (laughs) (laughs) There are scripts. (laughs) Dang. (laughs) Well, we say nobody reads. We don't mean we don't read. Oh, yeah, right. We're we're, we're not. We're nobody. (laughs) Oh, geez. Okay. We're going to move on. (laughs) Okay. Speaking of self-owned. Yeah. (laughs) As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.